powered by Riverside. On today's episode, I talked to Daniela Yoder, Vice President of CFO Services at Venture First. Daniela is very active in the greater Cincinnati startup scene as an investor, an investment committee member in Kinetic Ventures, and a general partner in the Shrub Fund. Nationally, she is an active limited partner in NextWave Impact Fund, which invests in high-growth, positive-impact companies with diverse founding teams. She also presently holds the CFO title for venture-backed companies and companies looking to raise debt or equity capital. Danielle has considerable experience valuing companies in a variety of industries, including companies that have been newly backed by venture capital and private equity investments for M&A and employee stock option plans. Daniela holds a designation of accredited senior appraiser from the American Society of Appraisers. Before joining Venture First, Daniela was senior vice president at Valuation Research, managing valuation projects for transaction advisory services and valuations for 409A purposes. She earned an MBA from Xavier University in Cincinnati and a bachelor's degree in finance from Miami University. Daniela shares her incredible journey with us today and also provides a lot of great advice. So without further delay, let's get to the show. Daniela, thank you so much for taking the time to come onto the Road to the Top podcast. Really excited to have you on today's episode. Thank you. I'm excited to be here this this afternoon. Yeah, thank you. And, um, you know, background for the audience. So we are both Miami alumni, and I know that you went to Miami and you were, you know, business degree was kind of your major. So I would just love to, you know, start with when you were in Miami, you know, during that time, did you kind of know that this was the career path that you wanted to go down or did it kind of evolve over time? That's actually a pretty funny question. So um, taking it back to when I was in second grade, I'm not, I, I swear, I'm not kidding. Um, we had these projects and one of our projects was to select an individual from whom you'd admired. And I picked the person that started the stock market and I wrote it. I mean, I'm, you know, nine years old and I'm writing about, you know, the person that started the stock market. I've always been interested in public equities, um, stocks, finance, debt. And so when I went to Miami, um, it was the initial orientation day and I'm sitting here with my parents and they literally, you know, you're 18 years old, you have no idea what's happening. And they give you a, at the time, they gave you a little postcard and they said, what do you want to major in? Right. And I was just like, what are they talking about? So I'm like, I don't even know. They were really hyping up paper science engineering at the time. So I'm like, clearly that's the way to go. Paper science engineering. I wrote down paper science engineering. (laughs) I had no idea that it was literally the study of pulp, wood, right? To turn into paper and boxes. (laughs) So um, I wrote that down on orientation day a month later. It's my first day of school and I, or first day of class. And I was like, what the heck did I do to myself? Um, I changed it the first day to finance. So I was a finance undergrad with an MIS or information systems minor from day one with that little glitch between orientation and the first day of classes. Yeah. <laughs> I always love finance. I That's- always love math. So. And what were some classes, you know, at Miami that kind of, I think, prepped you for what you do mm. now in terms of, you know, value? Was there anything that 
that helped you kind of set a foundation while you were at school? Yeah, so my senior year, I took Finance 401. That was a prep for the the financial CFA program. And so that class really allowed us to think and talk about diversification, volatility. It brought everything in in one um, and how to value a public company. And so I think that was it. That senior year, that 401 class really, really gave me the background to, to what I do today. So what was your professional career path after Miami? I graduated from Miami and I moved to Cleveland and I worked for a company um, called Midwest Research Association firm at the time. Uh, They were acquired by First Tennessee National Bank. But what we did was we placed buy, sell and hold ratings on public equities. So that was my first job out of college. So graduate from Miami, moved to Cleveland, worked there for a year. It was basically the next step that a lot of finance undergrads went to. So I think there are like eight or nine kids from my class that actually worked there as well. And what we did was we basically did market research on public equities, listened to earnings, and our head analyst or researcher would then um, we would write reports quarterly and rank the stocks. And then we would, like if we put a sell rating on stock, we would expect that stock price that day to fluctuate and go down based on our rating. So I did that for a year and then went to VRC. So how did you get introduced to VRC? And like, when did you know it was a good transition to move to that, that Yeah, company? I wanted to go, I wanted to work my way back down to Cincinnati Um, I wanted to learn more about the technical aspects of valuation. So for public companies, you definitely value the public companies, but it's pretty simple because you have a public company stock price that you're able to benchmark from. That's a market price, right? Um, Valuation research allowed us to value companies on privately held companies, but also public companies. Um, so I, it's just a nat, it was just a natural progression for, for my career. And were you doing 409A valuations? So, yes. so, okay, so for background for the audience, that's like an independent valuation where you determine the fair market value of privately held companies, and it's usually done before like stock options or raising new capital. So, you know, during that process when you were, you know, doing that, your that was your main, or one of yeah. your main skill sets, was there a common issue that you saw within startup founders with, that they were getting wrong when they were looking at like determining valuation? Let's talk about valuation real quick. There's different nuances to valuation for the different end purpose. So for 49A purpose, that's for IRS purposes, that's for stock tax purposes, right? But if you're consulting for an M&A transaction, that is basically an exit value purpose. It's, you know, we're going to the moon and we have all these synergies that you could, you, you know, you could, you know, benefit from. A 49A valuation is here's where the current, it's called current value. Here's where the current value is today. Basically, there are no synergies you're you're thinking about. You're basically thinking about if the company were to operate the same way they are today and they were to exit in a five, three, four, five year period, what is the value of the company? A lot of the times, I think startup companies, when they initiate a 49A purpose, um, they have issues separating the purposes of the valuation. So they may add in all this unknown um, value or this unknown benefit for the company, when in reality, 
that may not happen, right? And so they tend to give us projections that are overjuiced, you know, uh, for lack of a better word. And uh, and they have to understand that this is not going to be going, this is not going to be discoverable to the market. This is what your current value is today based on what the resources you have today are. And, you know, how can employees capture that value, right? It's the value today. And how can employees capture the value today? Does that make sense? I know it's a little confusing, yeah. but. So how did you get to understand like that whole world? Because I mean, from an outsider's point of view, like that's just a lot of, you know, new skill yeah. sets. So was there a training program that you went through <laughs> at VRC or was it just kind of like, you got to basically yeah, figure it out? Yeah, I had no idea that there were firms out there that actually specialized in valuations, right? You fought, you end your, you, you, you end your college um, you end your college career knowing that there's finance. Everybody wants to go into investment banking. Um, and that's basically um, valuation, um, but very high level valuation, right? What's the multiple? What are our discounted cash flows? Plop on a, plop on a discount, right? There you go. Um, I had no idea that there were boutique valuation firms that did that, but then to the end degree. And when I say to the end degree, we're using the Black-Scholes options uh, modeling to value specific tranches of a company's capitalization table for 49A versus just saying, hey, here's the total value of the company on your way. See you later. Um, so I had no idea up until uh, VRC uh, contacted me, a recruiter contacted me and said, hey, we're looking for an analyst. Would you be interested? Um, and that's how I interviewed for the position. I wasn't looking for it, but I knew I wanted to make my way back down to Cincinnati. And then when I was there, it was basically just, <laughs> you know, throw throw everything at me and see what sticks. And I could tell you there are numerous times when in my, you know, 24-year-old career where I would be staying late, 7, 8 o'clock at night and um, going home at night with a glass I'm saying I can't do this anymore, right? But I mean, it really helped me understand, you know, I, I you really got your feet wet very quickly. Um, and, and so I learned a lot from VRC, but no, there was no specific trading. Eventually there is, it's called um, American Society of Appraisers and you could get a certification for valuations, but I think you have to work for like two years. And then you could also get um, the CFA Chartered Financial Analyst um, certification as well. Um, and that is equally as difficult, um, if not more. And that really shows you about how to value companies in the public market. And on top of the ASA, so I know you have your MBA from Xavier University. So at what point did you determine that you wanted to go into MBA school? And, you know, what was the greatest lessons that you learned through that MBA program that's most applicable to what you do? Yeah. So, now? um, so I was working for about, ooh, I was working for about four or five years when I decided that I wanted to get my MBA. And I wanted to get my MBA because I knew there was a more soft skills that I would learn um, from getting my MBA, such as um, networking. I, I never really grasped the concept of marketing at, at Miami. I mean, I took the marketing classes. I just wasn't getting it because I didn't have any real world experience. Um, so grabbing you know getting my mba after going to you know after working for so many years it really allowed me to put the whole piece together as well as get really good connections um outside of cincinnati um outside of the finance community in cincinnati so learning about different businesses and really getting to learn about networking and, and, and speaking really 
been very active within, you know, the Cincinnati mm -hmm. um, community and the startup. Like, how did you get yeah. involved initially? And I was intentional about it. Um, so I was, um, I had just graduated from my MBA. I was working in finance. Um, the, to your point, going back to that 409A valuation, that was becoming more popular. And I realized there was an opportunity uh, to get more of that market share in Cincinnati because it was a new form of valuation that we needed to do in the industry. Um, so I developed a plan. Um, I spoke with some folks around the area. Jim Cunningham, I remember, was my first person. I said, "Hey, Jim, I really..." And he he was one of the one of the founders and managing directors of QCA at the time. He had retired, and I said, "Hey, I'm really interested in this." So he had directed me to places to network, and I actually did that, right? So I went out and I networked and I took myself out of my comfort zone. Um, again, being very intentional about it, such that I learned the business offhand on my own hours. So there was a lot of hours um, spent doing this until I was ready to monetize it in some fashion. I think getting involved in network yes. groups like that is just such a huge, you know, advantage. And like you said, you're getting out of your comfort zone and, you know, everyone else is in that group as well. So there's right. kind of that commonality. Um, would you say that that was like a huge pivotal point maybe in your career in terms of like surrounding yourself with like-minded people that, you know, kind of help help motivate oh, your, yeah, absolutely. your career? If anyone knows being in the same career, the same, you know, at the same company for five, six, seven, ten years, I mean, I was with VRC for 16 years. Um, I don't want to say you get lazy or you just get complacent, but you, you don't get challenged. And a person like me would always want to get challenged. So I would find myself just organically looking for more challenges outside of work. Um, and I would be doing things that, you know, would help other people, but also would help me learn. Like, so when I started getting involved in the startup and angel fund and angel capital scene in Cincinnati, I had no idea. Like, I knew what a capitalization table was because I had a value, the common stock, but I didn't know the negotiations that went down with it. I didn't understand um, how a convertible note valuation cap isn't really a valuation, and here's why. Like, I, I knew the mechanics of it, but I didn't know the real world of it. And I learned all of that, like I said, intentionally by my, on my own, um, in addition to working, you know, my day job. So your current role is the vice president of C CFO services and head evaluation group. Um, I know you provide financial leadership to high growth companies. Can you kind of share your journey to yeah, venture so first? I was performing four nine a. A four nine day valuation project for um, a company on an annual basis in Cincinnati, and um, that was my first forte into like startup operations. So I walked into this office, and this company had raised some capital at the time. And I think when we first valued the company for four and four nine a purposes are you're valuing the company's common stock in order to issue options to your employees. That's what that is. So you need a third party valuation. Uh, firm to do that, or the IRS will say, this is um, not correct and you get fined. Okay, fine. So then we are, so that everyone knows what that is. So I would walk into this specific company and I would work with the CFO and the controller of this company for about four or five years. And every year we'd do the valuation and every year I'd walk into the company and be like, I love this energy, right? Everything's always changing. Um, I think we started the valuation at a $20 million valuation. And every year 
Um, we would come back and we would increase it incrementally. And then finally the company ended up being sold. Um, however, I, um, and they get, they got sold for an amazing multiple. I think it was like 2.5 times what our latest valuation was, which is great. And that should happen, right? 498 purposes are for tax purposes. Um, and sometimes, like I said, that's current value and not essentially um, like exit value. So it doesn't take into account all those synergies. Anyways, so they ended up selling. Um, the CFO ended up moving on and he ended up working on his own, doing some fractional CFO work. Five or six years later, I reached out to him on LinkedIn and I said, hey, you remember me? And he said, yes. And he said, by the way, I just started a CFO practice. I really would need you because I, I remember your work and I remember how you um, really understood startup and capital raising. And so that is really hard to find in the world of finance and accounting. Would you please join me? So um, he was working for Venture First at the time. He had just started that practice. And so he brought me on as the second CFO uh, for the group. Um, and, and so we've grown from there. Um, a lot of the audience really likes to hear like challenges that, yeah. you know, guests have had to overcome. Is there any challenge in your you know, current role that you've had to overcome and kind of the steps that you took to do that? I think people kind of benefit from just hearing yeah, how you absolutely. take it's on challenges. Half an hour long podcast. <laughs> um, so many challenges. So when I first got this role, I was, I, uh, I was always in finance. I've always specialized in finance. Accounting is near to finance, but it's not finance. So when I first got this role, I had to learn. Um, I, I have a really good depth, a good understanding of U.S. gap accounting. But again, having I needed to learn the operations part of that. You know, um, why are we doing that? Not just because it's U.S. gap, but like how could we benefit the company using gap U.S. gap standards to you know, report financials in a fashion that makes sense to everyone and makes investors happy. That was the biggest challenge up front. I would say the first six months of my my my, my job. And that that's an art. That is not a science. You follow US debt standards, but like you really have to listen and learn to understand what not only what investors want to see, but also what the founders want to see. And then you update financials and make them look and smell and feel in a fashion that ha is happy, you know, makes everyone happy. That was my first challenge. Second challenge is as we work with founders, we find that founders tend, and we're forecasting because we have to forecast cash flows. We find that founders uh, tend to underestimate the amount of headcount and workforce they need. So getting founders over that hump of saying, hey, by the way, you have one salesperson that you're expected to hire in the next year, yet you're expected to generate $20 million in revenue. So how is that happening? Right. Like um, getting founders understanding that, you know, it's it just it's not that easy. Um, and that's that's constant. Right. When we take on a new client, especially a, a first time founder, uh, we do have to educate them on how the business or how in general business works, right? And there are certain rules of thumb that we use. Um, other other challenges, 
getting capital. Um, all of my clients are either needing equity or debt capital and making sure that they have it in the time that they need. Uh, you know, I have clients that have less than $10,000 in their checking account today, yet they are expecting a $500,000 check tomorrow. Well, where is it coming in? How, how could we save it? How could we save the company until that money comes in? Um, it, it, it's never a dull day. <laughs> You know, as part of like the leadership of Venture First, you know, what kind of goals do you have um, for the future of the company as well as, you know, any, you know, personal, professional goals? We, you know, we always think the leadership team always, we have, you know, we have our weekly meetings and our, our goal for Venture First is to become the full breadth of financial services. So I don't know if you know this, but part of Venture First services, service offering is that we also have a, a debt fund that we raise capital for. Um, and that debt fund loans money to uh, whiskey companies. Um, and we've had it for, we've had this fund for about three years. We're raising our second fund now on that. It's been extremely successful. Um, so we also have uh, a fund for um, startups called Strike Ventures. So we run that, we've raised capital for it. We're probably, we're gonna probably increase that in our second fund. Um, and that is again, getting capital out the door. So venture first, we're just gonna do more of that. I think the next phase for Venture First is to be involved in the um, transactional part. So the M&A, um, mergers and acquisitions, um, buy side, sell side. And so that's what we've been really focusing on uh, the, this last year and probably the next 12 months, right? Using all of our services and all of our knowledge we have from valuation to accounting, to CFO, to capital raising, to debt, um, and equity fund management, and now using that to grow our um, transaction side. You know, these are first-time founders. I can imagine that you're working with. Like, how? What resources do you help them utilize or provide to like get an understanding of of valuations and just running a startup? Because I think for a lot of people, it's mm -hmm. obviously a whole new world. So, are there things that you resources that you would like yeah. find helpful? So we have description it's pretty expensive so I, I i would encourage startup founders to probably uh reach out to their accountants or if they're working with someone like us to pull comps but we have a software called um smp capital iq it's sort of like a bloomberg um but it is um web-based it's cloud-based so we could all have um software subscriptions to it so smp capital iq is where i get all of my transaction um, data, my, um, they have executive comp data on there. Um, they have funding, like recent funding, either privately held or public companies. Um, so that's that. Then we also use Crunchbase a lot and PitchBook. So those are the three main uh, sources we use. Um, Ibis World, I-B-I-S World, that is a research firm that um, provides us like full in-depth industry reports. And they're pretty, I think you could purchase a report. I don't, we have a subscription to it, but you could purchase an individual report. They're great reports. They give you comps, they give you um, growth, they give you history. Um, and and that's, that's also a good resource. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing. That's gonna be very helpful. Um, so, you know, with, with founders, you've obviously heard a lot of advice that they've been given. Is there any, like, <laughs> what's the worst advice that you've ever heard, like an entrepreneur get, been given so that you're just good. like, oh my God, oh, no, that gosh. is not, so I've had not company, It's so funny. Yeah. Um, 
you know, and everybody's dependent. Everybody's everybody's different. But I've had I've had a pre-revenue company last year come to me for evaluation because they're about to raise capital, so they wanted evaluation to support their pre-money valuation, different than a four nine eight valuation, right? Um, and we came back with a value of like forty million, which I thought was extremely excessive given they were pre-revenue, they haven't even started, they never raised capital, first-time founders, they were based in, uh, I don't know, somewhere in the Midwest, it wasn't wasn't in Ohio or Kentucky, it was somewhere else. And they came back and they said, no, 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 so-and-so said that our the company is worth like a billion dollars. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like that, that's not even like doable, like that you can't. Um, so I would say folks, that don't understand the nuances of valuation will and are excited about helping these startups um, will be the first ones to say, "Oh my gosh, this this idea is worth a billion dollars. You must be a billion dollars, right?" And I ran a manufacturing company and I sold it for like you know twenty million. So I know I'm the expert. No, they're not the expert. Um, so I, we do get that a lot, um, and that is probably on a, especially on the valuation side. That's on a weekly basis and the CFO side. I work with them pretty, you know, daily, so they're more realistic in terms of what we need. The other, uh, so on the, that's valuation. Everyone thinks their value company's worth a billion because third parties, advisors tell them that. On the CFO side, I think the biggest um, issue they have is, like I said, underval or underestimating headcount, and it kills them every single time. Thinking that they could open a round and close a round in six weeks when in reality, it's more like six months. So what we usually do at Venture First is we'll do a weekly cash flow forecast for the company. It's updated weekly. And when we see that the company's cash is going to run out in nine months, we'll start prepping for a capital raise because we know it's gonna take six months. It's not gonna take six weeks. Then what happens is you're, you're you know, it's a fire drill to get cash in the door and either the valuation is really low or the convertible note or safe terms are just horrible and not founder friendly. So um, that's another one. I mean, I could go on, <laughs> but, and, and it's fine. Like everybody has their own things. Like that's just the whole learning perspective, learning point of everyone, right? Um, everyone's unique. Everyone has really strong points and every, and other folks are strong in one thing and not in the others. But in general, those are the, those are the, those are the common mistakes I see. In, um, in prep for this interview, you know, I yes. saw that you, with Startup Week Cincinnati, you gave a presentation called Solving the Startup Riddle. So I highly encourage people to like, check that out where you walk through founders through the stages of raising capital and the different valuation methods. So I was really curious, like, you know, from that presentation, was there something that people have, like, said in terms <laughs> of feedback? Like, wow, that's the most yeah. eye-opening. So it takes someone that has a lot of knowledge and skill set to explain something in a way that I could explain it to my, you know, 10 year old son. And so um, valuation is not a riddle. It's very simple. Cash out, right? What's your cash balance? And then it's in the future. So you discount it back to today's value. I mean, it's as simple as that, right? It's that whole nature of the theoretical, um, I don't know, perspective of like, future what happened in the future i don't know oh my gosh it's the future it's not here yet no it's not it's like future and then there's a really quick and easy formula to bring it back to today's value and i think when i do that talk people don't realize how simplistic 
you know, valuation could be. And it, they also realize like there are three metrics that really value that are really that really increase or the levers I could pull to increase my valuation. And what are they? And I sort of imply, and I never say what they are explicitly because I think every company is different, but in general, right, based on the stage of the company, like revenue, um, the people you have, and then the cash flows in four or five years, right? And then bring it back to today's value. Happy to share the formula. I do share the formula with the, in, in that talk because I think it's important to, for people to realize how we get to our values. Um, and so, and so that, and also another one with that valuation riddle um, talk is another way to value startups, pre-revenue stage startups is really looking at the area that you're in and people think, no, that's crazy. And I'm like, no, no, it's true. It's true. I have a, I have a client that um, is in Palo Alto, pre-revenue stage company, and it, he just gets money. I mean, it's hard, but like he's getting larger checks in the door at a quicker pace, at a higher valuation. 10 times higher than if he were in the Midwest. And there's no difference to this company, you know, compared to my Midwest companies that I, that I work with, but for the fact that they're located in a different area, right? Supply and demand. And um, I think that companies in the Midwest have to realize that they do unfortunately have to work a little bit harder and they have to be a little, um, little more, I guess, quick and understanding of how cash goes in and out the door because it's harder to get that next check in during that presentation i thought you gave a really great example of like thinking oh, of yeah. like yourself and like earning a salary and you know the future cash so i thought yes. that was like very you know yeah, commonality absolutely. that people could you know analogy that people could get and so the final question we have is do you have any final advice for young professionals who are looking to become you know like a cfo wear that type of hat i, I was in that position right 10 years ago 15 years ago where i i first off there's no issue with staying with a company for five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years. I the most valuable thing I did was stay with BRC, my older company, for so long because I truly became an expert in what I do, and that's valuation. So throw anything at me, I've seen it, and I think that's because I've I stayed with the company for so long and I learned so much, um, and so I, I I'm confident in where that where I am on that. Um, but when it was time, I was intentional. I had a plan and it took time for me to move out of valuation and M&A consulting into CFO. It took me about three years, but I networked my ass off. <laughs> I um, volunteered when I could. I volunteered my time um, and I, 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 I reached out to people. I wasn't afraid to say, hey, do you want a coffee or hey, do you want, you know, no one um, in, in the startup world at that point, but what's the worst that could happen? No, right? Who cares? <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time to come out of the podcast, for sharing your journey and your advice for others. We really agree. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. And if you found this helpful, please consider leaving a rating and a review as that helps others find the podcast.